0: Okay, everyone, welcome to the Respect the Math podcast brought to you by Reliable Tech Help. For all your IT needs, call Reliable Tech Help at 502-797-7399 or visit our website at Reliable Tech, that's T-E-K, help.com. I'm your host, Digital David Snyder. Here at the Respect the Math podcast, we talk about everything from technology to business, science, popular culture, and more. Basically, the things that I'm interested in because I'm kind of selfish that way. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Look us up, interact with us. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. Today, our guest is my best friend, Dave Batts. Hello. How's it going? There he is. He's a character. You won't take long to figure that out. Thanks for being here. Glad to be here. Thank you. Dave and I have been friends since probably around 93 or four, freshman, sophomore year of uh J-town High School. Does that sound right?
1: I'd say sophomore year,
0: yes. Mr. Sampson's science class. It was great. Which involved pretty much watching Western films and not learning a lot about science
1: when we were there. I remember doing a lot of, uh, a lot of reports that uh, didn't make any sense. And uh, it was pretty much a boring class. But you got
0: that glorious D minus, y- which enabled you to move to the next level.
1: Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure I got an A in that class. All oh, you had to wow. do is join the track team and you maybe, get an A in his class. So.
0: Maybe I was thinking of my, my grade. Yeah. you didn't join tracks. So. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway, so Dave and I have been friends for a long time. Um, kind of uh, ended up going to University of Louisville. Oh, yes. Um, took some classes there. You made it through, was about three semesters, four semesters? Uh, I made it through about four and a half semesters, I guess you could say. We played a fair amount of ping pong. At the, at the time, it was called the SAC, the Student Activity Center. Now it's called the YAC. Hmm. Uh, I can't remember what that stands for, but yeah. So we did a fair amount of that in between classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was fun. And then your life kind of took a different turn. Uh, you met a girl, fell in love, got married. Oh, yes, yeah, kind of uh did that for a little while, and that didn't pan out, and then you started uh
1: well, tell us okay, so yeah, uh, I met a girl at campus Crusade for Christ, actually at u of l and uh we hit it off, things moved really quick, and we got married, and uh wasn't too long after that, just a few years down the road that it didn't pan out so well. And uh, we divorced in 2004, 2005, and uh, yeah, life took a whole different journey from there. Uh, I moved to Orlando in 2004, and I was chasing the storm to do some roofing, siding, and gutter sales in Orlando. It was pretty exciting. Yeah, and
0: how long did you do that? How long you honing your your craft as a salesperson?
1: I did that, um, well, I did that all the way through about 2012, almost into 2013. and But I traveled most of that time until about 2010s when I came back to Louisville, and I worked for a local roofing company here. Okay.
0: And so you're a very accomplished, uh, successful salesperson. I I think that's a very valuable skill, even if you're not... Uh, if you don't see your future track as being a salesperson I think everybody should at least get a few you know a few months or so or a year or two experience at least being around sales or doing sales because regardless of what economic environment you're in regardless of what's going on uh you know politically or in the business
1: world if you can sell a product you have a job absolutely absolutely yeah there's so many things to sell um yeah, I, I, uh, I actually, I'm not in sales now, but I could very well get back into sales at some point. So um, it's definitely, definitely a, a cool occupation to have for sure. You
0: know, that reminds me, I've written a few blogs on my thoughts on business, and a couple of them were titled uh, in particular. One, one, was, one was titled, uh, you are, We Are All Business Owners. Mm-hmm. And then uh, another one I wrote, I uh, remember if I titled it, um, We Are All Sales People hmm. So your job title at the moment is not salesperson and it's not business owner. But if we di- if we dig deeper into those two labels, I, th- I think an argument could be made that you are both. You sure. Know, what is a business? Well, it brings in income. Right. It provides a product or a service. You're doing all three of those. Right. Absolutely. You go to work. You satisfy your job responsibilities. Your boss is happy. They send you a check and you repeat the process. Mm-hmm. That's arguably a business. Mm-hmm. You have expenses. You got to keep your car maintained. You got to put gas in your car. You got to keep yourself uh, you know healthy and able to work or you won't get a paycheck mm-hmm. that applies as much to you as it does to me being a you know an entrepreneur and small business owner and then the sales piece everybody has to sell you know mm-hmm. you might not be knocking on doors and selling vacuums or roofs but mm-hmm. you have to convince the people that uh, interact with you your coworkers, uh, your bosses uh, your employer all those folks that you know you're capable of what they need and if you don't consistently show up and provide that to them you're no longer employed that's that's true i think from a certain sense you could argue that everybody has a business whether they realize it or not Mm -hmm. and everybody is selling
1: yep i agree whether
0: whether they realize it or not Mm -hmm. um that kind of segues into the next topic we wanted to talk about um we'll both be honest here we've both Indulged at times during our lives in the the party mm-hmm. scene, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know that has its own. It's fun. It, it's fun for a time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, I'm glad I indulged and partook and spent the majority of my 20s and 30s satisfying myself and having fun and kind of living life on my own terms. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, we don't go into the details of what we did and all that kind of stuff. It's not necessary, but. Um, for you, it kind of got out of control at a certain point,
1: right yeah, no doubt about it um, you know for me, when you know we started drinking certainly when we were of age and and maybe a little before, and you know there's no doubt about it that uh alcohol was definitely something that was an issue for me fairly early on, I realized that. Uh, I really liked to drink, I really liked to party, and, you know, um, it became an issue uh, after quite some time. Uh, It became an issue with work, it became an issue with relationships, it became an issue with uh, my entire life, and, um, you know, there was some fun times, and it was great and fun at some times, but then sometimes it it wasn't so great, And, and getting high really felt like it was getting low, and... Um, you know, life went, uh, some crazy directions and, uh, it took a lot for me to finally quit drinking and, and, uh, clean up my life and to be clean and sober. Uh, had to go through a lot of pain to get there, but I did finally get there. Yeah.
0: Do you mind telling us the details of that? Because it's, uh, Mm -hmm. I think for everyone listening, uh, one of the many reasons I wanted to do this podcast with you is to show people that a, if you, your life gets off track, If you don't get it back on track, things can go really bad really quick, Mm -hmm. not just for you, but for other people. Mm -hmm. But also, this is a redemption story. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk about how bad that got and Mm -hmm. what are the the details you'd like to discuss on
1: when it really got out of control and got away from you? Sure. So, uh, you know, in AA, they talk about people hitting a rock bottom before they finally decide that they have to change. Uh, And it takes a rock bottom for most people that are addicts or alcoholics to actually change. For me, um, the biggest rock bottom that I hit was uh, in 2013 in May when I actually got so drunk. I was I was drinking emotionally. I was upset that night with a, some girl that didn't really matter, and um, you know I ended up driving drunk. Uh, ended up being what I felt was completely blackout drunk. Ended up actually on the wrong side of the highway. And unfortunately, um, I did strike another car. Uh, God rest his soul, there was a gentleman that was killed during that. And and for that, my whole life was changed uh, from that moment forward, for sure. Uh, A lot of it then was negative, but uh, as time went on it's it's turned out uh, there's definitely been some positive incomes because of that or outcomes outcomes yeah. excuse me yeah. hopefully no income <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. right so um so yeah you know uh, it, at that point i was actually charged uh with murder and uh it was tough it was really tough Uh, certainly it was tough on my family, but it was tough, obviously on that gentleman's family, uh, more so than, than myself. Uh, but I survived, uh, I survived and, you know, I, I ended up taking a plea deal after about a year and a half, uh, ended up, the plea deal was for a 15 year sentence, but I was able to reduce that by taking programs and getting some college degrees and, um, I was actually able to get out after about a total of six years, um, and I, I'm thankful for that. And, uh, you know, being in prison, it's it's, it's, it's no fun. Um, you know, drinking and driving is really, really stupid, and uh, at this point I know I'll never do it again for sure.
0: Six years actually incarcerated, but about a year and a half, a little more than that, on home incarceration for a total time served of around eight. Uh,
1: actually, actually it was closer. I think it ended up being closer to six all, all the way through. Oh, all in. Okay. Yeah. All the way through. It ended up being close to six years. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, I was on home incarceration for a little while, uh, which I was blessed and lucky to do that. That doesn't happen very often, but, uh, I did have some good resources at that time to help me to, to do that. And, uh, yeah, man, prison is no joke. Um, you know, it, it will change your life in one way or another. And I was determined to let it change me for the better and not for the worse. Um, you know, I went into it knowing while I was on home incarceration that I could potentially be locked up for several years. And I wasn't sure what prison was like. I'm, I'm, I wasn't some crazy criminal. I haven't done a lot of time in jail or whatever. Um, and the people that I was with... Many of them were criminals and had done a lot of time and uh, it's not a fun place to be, but uh, I did decide that I had to keep a positive outlook on that uh, I saw the the glasses half full, and uh, I've moved through that
0: yeah, a couple things I want to touch on on that first thing is I think it's important for people to understand you're in no way dismissing or downplaying the impact that it had on that guy and his <sighs> and his family no the weight that the burden you must carry from with with you every day about that is real um but at the same time you had a choice to make do i fall down and and just not live my life Mm -hmm. and completely collapse or do i move forward put one foot in front of the other try to find a way to have something good come out of this awful
1: situation Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. yeah i mean you know for me it was definitely um It was definitely a time when I knew uh, I I had the choice to make. You know, the, the choices that I'd made to that point had got me in prison. So I had to change the way I thought. I had to change the way... Uh, I move forward and and just kind of moving back on. There's no doubt about it. I, I was 100% guilty, uh, 100% um, guilty of my crime. And uh, I do have uh, a lot of compassion and a lot of sorrow for the gentleman who, who lost his life and, of course, for his family. Um, but with that, um, I did realize that I did have to pick up myself and I did have to put one foot in front of the other and I did have to move on. And, and, uh, so that's, that's what I've done and uh, I vowed not to drink or drug again. And that's what I hope to continue to do for life moving forward.
0: I think it's also important to point out, I know you pretty well, known you a long time. You don't always show people the hand that you're playing, Mm -hmm. but I know deep down inside you're an incredibly, um, an incredibly sensitive Kind and compassionate person, and I know, even though people might not see it on the outside, mm-hmm. but deep, I know d- deep down on the inside, this is devastating for you, mm-hmm. um, and it's something that you have to live with and move forward on. So, I think that's important uh, for people to know. Um, mm-hmm. I think that some people might look and say, "Well, you know, this this guy," and we'll talk about this. Uh, in a few minutes but you know this this guy has served his time paid his debt to society spent his time incarcerated Mm -hmm. as a model inmate like you said educating yourself completing multiple drug and rehabilitation programs right that's correct um and you know some people might say well this guy doesn't deserve to be happy or move on with his life Mm -hmm. after what happened Mm -hmm. Uh, and i get that and there's there's something to be said for that but at the same time That, you know, this is the situation that you're in. You never, ever would deliberately set out to harm anyone. That's not an excuse. Mm -hmm. But you made some really bad decisions that had terrible consequences. And I I love the fact that you owned it. You said, I am 100% responsible of that crime. Mm -hmm. A lot of people in your situation would say, yeah, I'm guilty, but... You know, I partied too much or this, you know, if I'd have not, you know, turned the key in the ignition that night or whatever. You didn't do that. You said, I'm 100% guilty of a crime. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I applaud you, and, uh, you know, for doing that. And I admire you for doing that. Can we talk a little bit about the experience of being incarcerated? And mm-hmm. uh, we, we don't want to talk about anything you're uncomfortable with. But I really think this might be the most powerful episode of the Respect the Math podcast I've done because. Mm-hmm of your experience. Um, You you mentioned you're not the typical criminal that you were in there
1: surrounded by. Um, Can you talk about that? Sure, sure. So, you know, we all have an idea of what prison is like. And for me, um, I I had some idea what it was like based on my lawyer that basically gave me some information and heads up on some things. But um, you can't really uh know what it's like until you've been there. And I can tell you that there are a lot of lonely and unhappy people that are in prison. And um, there's people that are in prison that have no intentions of changing whatsoever. They are ready to get out so they can go back to doing whatever they were doing, ripping, running. Uh, Is that the
0: majority of them, probably
1: I'd say... I, I wouldn't say necessarily the majority, but maybe half, maybe a little under half. Roughly. Uh, yeah. But people do change there. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I've seen lives change there. Um, and I've seen people who you thought their lives their lives have changed. And as it turns out, when they got out, their lives didn't change. Uh, and they went right back to the same thing they knew before. Even though
0: they might have wanted to change, sincerely, they just don't know a better way, right?
1: Yeah, it's really sad. Um, you know, I made a lot of friendships there when I was in prison and uh because of some ministries that came and visited the prison and then also uh the, the same the same ministry would help people that were on the outside as well. I got a lot of information of how different people were doing once they got out. And um, unfortunately, there there's several people that I personally knew that got out and overdosed and died within a month or two after getting out. It's really sad. It's mm. really sad. But Were they doing drugs in prison? Um, some of those people, um, the people that I'm thinking of, actually, they weren't getting high in prison. There were There's plenty of people that do. Yeah, um, it still gets in, right? Absolutely. Especially, you know, there, there's... <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely drugs in prison. There's definitely paraphernalia. There's definitely uh, tobacco. Um, there's lots of crazy stuff that definitely happens there for sure. Um, but it's it's just sad to, to see, you know... Some really good guys that just made some really bad choices, and uh, then they they get out and their life is is over. But um, you know, I'm I'm not going to be that statistic. Um, I've I've decided it, it is no doubt the best life to live, the sober life. So that's what I've chosen.
0: It's interesting. You and I ended up at that same conclusion, kind of through a different route. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you hit that rock bottom. You mentioned that. AA talks about and therapy discusses. Mm -hmm. For me, I was already kind of on that trajectory. And then when your accident happened, I was like, "Eh, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was not out of control. We're not comparing levels of addiction or partying here. Mm -hmm. Yours was obviously, you know, in deep, you know, deeper than mine. Mm -hmm. But I just got to the point where I was like, uh, you know, I'm spending all this time and energy and resources to you know, drink or smoke weed or party and whatever. And, mm-hmm. you know, as little as it was, it was still like, eh, you know what? I got this out of my system. I had fun. I was already heading that direction anyways. I would, mm-hmm. used to come out two or three nights a week and do it. And then I got down to like once, maybe a couple of times a month. Mm-hmm. So I was already headed that way. And then when, when your accident happened, I was like, well, this is it. So, mm-hmm. and both of us have been completely clean and sober ever since. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you, but I crave a sober mind.
1: Mm -hmm. I operate
0: better. I sleep better. I'm a better person. Mm -hmm. I'm more productive. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a lot of that time you spend partying, you think you're coming up with these great ideas and you're going to fix all this and change (laughs) the world and all that, you know, and you're pretty much not. It's just a distraction. Mm -hmm. Um, A couple of things I wanted to uh, mention. The first one was um, the role of your faith. Mm-hmm. in all of this, mm-hmm. and particularly uh, your parents raised you, to you and you, uh, your two brothers, there's three of you total, mm-hmm. all to be um, God-fearing, uh, Christ-loving people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then uh, I want to talk about that, but also before before I do it, I want to talk, talk about the support that your parents gave you because they could have just walked away and said, look, mm-hmm. you're an adult, you made some bad choices, figured this out on your own, mm-hmm. um, but they didn't. They stood behind you. Uh, And they actually helped pay for your legal uh, process Mm -hmm. uh, and got you a really good lawyer and got you a favorable sentence and and placement in a relatively safe uh, jail or prison.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there's, if there's one thing that I had uh, access to that a lot of people in prison don't have um, is I have a really supportive and loving family that cares about me deeply that uh, even though I had made mistakes and uh, done some really stupid things, they stood behind me, loved me, did everything they could to help me to move through this. And uh, most people don't have a family like I have. I I know I'm blessed and very lucky to have the family that I have. And um, absolutely, we grew up, you know, uh, we grew up knowing uh, Jesus. We grew up God-fearing. We grew up uh, not just churchgoers, but you know, my, my family uh, has always gone out of their way to shine Jesus to other people, to be lights to people, to help people. Um, you know, I, the the main person I can think of, just thinking of my dad, what an awesome, awesome representative of Christ he's been. He's he helps people. Um, he's take he's picked people up off the street. He's helped feed people. He's picked up people on, under his wing to help them out. And um, you know, I, I'm just really, really fortunate to have parents at that time they had money to help me pay for a lawyer and they did. They they put it all out there. It was a thousands of dollars to try to get all that taken care of and tens of thousands. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. my, yeah, the lawyer was tens of thousands getting out on, uh, home incarceration was, was a lot of money, tens of thousands. And, yeah. um, I didn't have any money then I was broke and stupid at that point. So, yeah. uh, but yeah, I'm real fortunate to have that. Um, and you know, so my family definitely, you know, being raised in a Christian environment, you know, how do you, how are you, a Raised in a Christian environment to be the guy that ends up uh, drinking and driving, and, and you know, being in the situation where I was, you know, just because I'm a Christian certainly doesn't make me in any way perfect. Obviously, um, you know, there's there's lots of people that are Christians that do really stupid things, and for me, I made a series of several bad decisions that led to that point, and. Um, you know, uh, at this point, I lean on my faith very strongly. You know, I, I know that there's a God and I know that he loves me. And, um, you know, I take my faith a lot more seriously today than I ever have before. Uh, so I'm, I'm real fortunate to, to to have the family and the God that I do. I, I rarely am. You mentioned um,
0: your family and how did a guy that grew up in that envi- environment, mm-hmm. you knew what was right and what was wrong, mm-hmm. Not only that, more importantly, you had parents who weren't hypocrites, mm-hmm. not just telling you what's right and wrong. They were actually out there walking the walk, not mm-hmm. just talking the talk. Mm-hmm. Can you comment on that? How do you end up from that environment, end up in a situation where your life was out of control, you know, making bad decisions that ultimately led to this terrible thing? Mm-hmm. Have you, I'm sure you've had plenty of time to reflect on that. Mm-hmm. Do you, what do you think led to that? Do you think that there was some predisposition that you had mentally or genetics
1: or what, what, what do you think led to that? Well, the the biggest thing that led to me um, going down the path of being addicted, of, uh, of partying like a rock star, like I was coming from that Christian environment. um, It was just a series of bad choices, bad choices that I made when I was really young. I mean, being 13, 14, 15 Made some really stupid choices back then. You it started know? that early? It started real early for me. Do you um, think you were
0: a people pleaser in a sense?
1: Uh, or seeking that
0: affirmation or attention? Because on the outside looking in, I, that, that, that would be my guess, at least mm-hmm, a part of it.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I definitely, I still think I'm somewhat of a people pleaser. But, um, you know, back then I just, I just made some really stupid choices. Uh, I, I didn't know how good I had it. You know, looking back, I didn't know what a great family I had. I didn't know, you know, that that I had it, even though we, you know, not that we were financially well off, but uh, we were fine. And, you know, um, I just, it's it's really kind of tough to even think about that. How did I get from being this good little Christian young man to being this, wild and crazy party animal, and and it's hard to say how, but I can say it's a series of bad choices. Small bad choices led to bigger bad choices, and they just compounded and compounded, and uh, I just got myself in a rut, and um, I didn't get out. So there's no
0: deep psychological lesson to learn here. It was just some ignorant decisions by an ignorant typical 13-year-old teenager, and and they just got progressively worse?
1: I mean, it's I've tried to wrap my head around how I got to the point that I did, where I ended up drinking and driving and, and so forth. I don't, you know, the the only explanation I have is is not something that's all necessarily psychological or whatever have you, but it's just making one small bad decision. One small bad decision led me to another, and what I learned from that though is that one small good decision can also compound and lead to another good decision and another good decision. And that's how I try really to live today is to make one small good decision, do the next right thing. And the next right thing, as small as it may seem, that compounds and makes life so much better too.
0: We're tempted to think that there's this um, static point we can settle at, where we can say, oh, okay, I'm not making bad decisions. I'm not really making good decisions. I'm just kind of right in the middle and life doesn't work that way. Does it? Mm, That ball's either rolling in one direction or the other, gaining momentum Mm
1: -hmm. from
0: the step before it and the step before it and the step ahead of it and so forth. Right. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Because I don't want to spend the whole time talking of rehashing the past and Mm -hmm. you know, all the bad things I want people. I want people a first to understand how things got the way they were and how bad they were, but be most importantly, what did you do? What were the concrete steps you took, the changes you made in your life to turn this thing around and get that ball rolling in the
1: right direction? Mm -hmm, mm So once i had hit my rock bottom um it it even though i hit that rock bottom i didn't know exactly which where to go and what to do uh but i can say that uh it definitely started where i went back to that foundation of god in my life because um i needed that i mean i i was desperate for uh for anything that 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 was going to help and there's no doubt about it god was there for me my family was there for me uh and you know i i'm I'm super blessed to to have that. Um, I had to change the way I thought though. Um, you know, when I say I, I started, you know, going back to the to to God or whatever have you, I remember being in prison and waking up at, at quarter till five in the morning before breakfast and getting on my knees and just telling God and talking to God and saying, God, thank you for a good life. Thank you for getting me through this. Thank you for helping me to learn and grow so that when I get out. I can be that better person and I can make a difference and I can make good decisions. And I think I I really just, after doing that over and over again, I've really planned out, you know, some different things in in my life. You know, I asked God for an amazing wife. I wanted a beautiful family. And and I'm thankful I I got that pretty soon off after I got out. So, um, yeah. I want to talk about that some more. Mm -hmm. First, I want to talk about it's...
0: Bad as being incarcerated is was it the best thing for you at that time to give you the time that you needed to reflect to think to plan mm-hmm. and also also to get you out of that environment right mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Can you talk about that yeah,
1: so the thing you know just like um, just like we're talking about how uh, you know one one small decision leads to another small decision when I was incarcerated there's no doubt that uh, every day while I was there, you, it's, it's not like I was in solitary confinement and I had several people around me, but, um, you have to wake up every day and choose how you're going to live. And while I was there, I had to wake up every day and choose how I was going to live. And that's still how I have to do it today. But when you're incarcerated, it's a lot more serious. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a scary place to be. So, um, you just have to make concrete decisions and stick to those decisions uh, to get through that.
0: Yeah um you you served your time
1: mm-hmm.
0: you came out you had the clear mind you had sobriety mm-hmm. uh, uh one of the, one of the things I was most impressed with anybody who gets out you've got to prove to the people who let you out particularly if you want to get out early mm-hmm. that, that you're gonna get and keep a job that's mm-hmm. probably top of the list mm-hmm. you can't commit crimes you're subjected to drug and alcohol testing for a period of time mm-hmm. and one of the things that it impressed me the most about when you did that you rode a bike how many miles one way every
1: day to work for a landscaping company? Yeah, so um, when I first got out of prison, my, my driver's license was still suspended. I was not able to drive at that point. So I did, uh, and, you know, I did whatever I could do. I had to work. I couldn't drive. So I rode a bike. Sometimes I would ride the whole way, and sometimes I'd take the bus, Um but when I took the bus, I used the bike, too. But if I, if I actually rode my bike all the way to work, it was maybe about four or five miles. It one direction. Very, one direction, And that right. was five, six days a week, right? Uh, it was five days a week. I yeah. was working five days a week for a landscaping company. And, um, yeah, you know, a very humbling experience, not just riding a bike. But riding the bus—it's yeah. a very humbling experience, you know. As a grown-up and never really being somebody that ever rode the bus, it, it, it's a whole different environment. It is a is a it is a humbling experience to ride the bus. Yeah, um, no doubt about it. And riding a bike too, but um, the bus is where. Y- there's a lot of interesting things that happen uh, on the bus. So,
0: You know, one thing complicating that further were the lingering uh, issues you had with you, your feet particularly, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. as a result of the wreck. Right. And so riding that bike, getting on the bus, walking, doing that physically demanding work of landscaping, but you did it. You never complained. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as far as I could tell you, you were grateful for the opportunity to not mm-hmm. be incarcerated, to have a job, to start rebuilding your life. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk about that?
1: Sure. So, you know, um, one thing I knew when I was getting out of prison was sometimes you just have to take the job you can get until you can get the job that you love. And I knew that that was going to be me. I mean, if anybody were to check my criminal history, they would see uh, a felony on there. And so I knew I couldn't just get out and start a sales position and make $100,000, you know. And uh, so anyway, I didn't have a car, didn't have a license. Uh, I did have a bike. Uh, Actually, thanks to you, you actually let me borrow your bike. Yeah. And And he's still borrowing it, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. It's still, it's still sitting in my dad's garage right now. One I'd, of these I'd, days I'll get it for you. I had to throw that in there. Mm-hmm. Go mm-hmm. ahead. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, uh, in my accident, I did have a, a pretty serious foot injury. I've had three different surgeries since then. Uh, but you know, I'm able to walk, uh, I'm able to move. I have orthotics that help me to walk uh, without limping, and it, it's still, you know, kind of a thorn in my side. But overall, um, I've I've come a long way. And you know, I, does it bother me still? Yeah, sometimes it really bothers me. My foot's in a lot of pain. But hey, I'm I'm thankful that I'm able to walk. Um, with the the kind of accident I was in, I, I shouldn't even be alive. So I'm thankful for that.
0: You know, you mentioned riding the bus. Uh, being an eye-opening experience. Can you? I remember you talking about the people you worked with in landscaping too. Mm-hmm. Now the owner obviously had his stuff together, but you know it's a physically demanding job. There's no background checks. So there's mm-hmm. not a lot of filters there. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about? You don't have to name any names, but can sure. you talk about them? The exp- that, that had to be a humbling experience too, right? Working mm-hmm. with uh, some
1: of those folks. Well, you know, it was once I got out of prison and I started working in the in that landscaping environment. You know, I was making 13 bucks an hour, and the guy that I worked for, real nice guy, um, he had no problem hiring. You know, people that were convicts and so forth uh, that needed work, and that's one of the reasons I got that job. But the people that I worked with, some of them, you know, were clean cut people, but some of them um, had just recently gotten out of prison and been in and out of jail. And, you know, there were a couple of them that definitely had some drug issues, um, which I, of course, just, you know, stayed clear of. Um, but, yeah, uh, some of the people I worked with reminded me of some of the people that I knew in prison, you know, Um but uh, you know, there were a lot of people in the, about the year that I worked there that came there, worked for a couple of weeks, and then you never saw them again. I was going to say there was a lot of turnover, right? A lot <laughs> of turnover, a lot yeah. of turnover in the landscaping business,
0: and it's sad—not just that business, but a lot of the trades, right? Mm-hmm. Physical labor—it's mm-hmm. sad to see somebody who just can't get out of their own way, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And it's
0: it's everyone else's fault, you know. Everyone's out to get them. This one, this. This went against me. The judge is out to get me. And my mm-hmm. family hates you know that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Reminds me, uh, Doctor Phil did a phenomenal set of podcasts on uh, the narcissistic personality disorder. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he said was, I think one of the biggest eye-opening experiences of entire life. He was young, mid late or early mid twenties. I think he was getting his graduate degree in psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had as part of their curriculum they had to do an internship, and he got assigned to go to the local jail. Mm -hmm. specifically where all the domestic abusers were being uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) held. And he said, you know what? I walked in there, a young man, naive, you know, thinking I'm going to meet some people who are going to say to me, oh, my God, how did I end up here? I'm so ashamed of my behavior. Mm -hmm. How did this happen? I'm never going to do this again. I have so much remorse. I can't believe it. He said he ran into the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. He said mm-hmm. the narcissistic personality was disproportionately represented in that community. Mm-hmm. Almost every single person he talked to, the judge has it out for me, the district attorney's trying to get me, my uh my family you know, hates me. Uh, this went wrong. That went wrong. Uh, she only had four stitches in her side of her head. See the way she talked to me. She should have had twenty stitches. She's lucky she only had four. You know that kind yes, of yeah. that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Did mm-hmm. you run into that in in prison? People that have no insight, no ability to reflect on
1: themselves and their decisions and. Mm-hmm.
0: Can you, can you talk about so, that?
1: So there definitely are plenty of people like that that would blame everything and everyone else uh, for the actions that got them there. Um, a lot of people were there for drug charges, and they would say, the only reason I'm here is because somebody told on me, and it's their fault that I'm here. And they didn't even own up to the fact that they were the ones dealing the drugs, and they were the ones doing that. You know, um, I will say, most of the people that I hung out with and that I made friendships with uh, were people that were similar to my path, where they wanted to go to aa meetings every week they wanted to go to church and hear something positive and hear something good and try to become a better person uh while they're there but there's definitely a lot of people that would blame everybody and everyone for themselves being there um but there's there's good people there too you know if there another thing i've learned is that um People that are in prison are not necessarily bad people. They're just people that made some really bad choices. Yeah. Really bad choices. I've met some great people there. Um, and I've met some not-so-nice people there, too. But, um, you know, just like the outside, uh, not being in prison, I mean, there's good people and there's bad people. It's like that in prison, too.
0: Yeah. We were talking about you got out, you got a job in landscaping, and mm-hmm. then you ended up... What, what was the job
1: after that? So, um after I was done with the, the landscaping gig, I actually had had my third surgery on my foot, so I, I kind of was able to take a little break for a little bit, uh, and uh, I was off my feet for about two months. And then um, I got a position working in a warehouse, still not making much money, but I got a position. At that point, I actually was able to get my driver's license and so forth, too, so I stopped riding the bus. But yeah, after that, I just got a job working in a warehouse. Um, Is that
0: the job you have still?
1: It's actually the same job that I have, except that that now I've been promoted from from one position to another. But, yeah, I I still work for that company.
0: I really want to dig into that because I want people listening to know, hey, I I can bounce back from bad decisions and things that go wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, So you uh, got out of prison, model inmate. Got and kept a job, mm-hmm. submitted yourself to alcohol and drug testing, passed every single one. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, have you ever been late to your job that you're at now or missed a day, maybe once or twice, but you're there every day early, you stay late, you got promoted?
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I am I definitely like to clock in as soon as I can clock in. I want to be early. There's It's about a 30-minute commute for me. So, uh, yeah, I, it's very rare that I would call in. It's been... Last time I called in was not when I have the current position I have, but when I was just a general warehouse worker. Now I'm I'm actually a floor captain. I'm a supervisor for several associates that are there. But, um, no, I'm not one to call in or miss work. The last time I missed work was because I went to work and I was sick, and my boss said, you look terrible, go home. So that's when I – no, but you still
0: then. showed up anyways and they sent you home so right. I yeah
1: I've been sent home for being sick but I've never you know I'm not one to call in unless I absolutely would have to.
0: Yeah, and let's be honest, this isn't the glamorous job that you might not you might dream of and it's mm-hmm. you know, you're on your feet and you're managing people and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. again, I admire the fact that you go to work, you take pride in the work that you do. It might not be your dream job, but you understand it's a good job and you're grateful mm-hmm. for that mm-hmm. in the moment. Talk to the audience about what are the steps you took, particularly in this new job, because you've advanced. Uh, it's been several years; you've been there now. And mm-hmm. you know, for that person saying, "Well, I've got a felony in my past, or I've got this or that in my past," mm-hmm. you did it. You yeah. got you got past that. You have a good job, and you've actually uh, performed to the extent that you've been promoted.
1: Mm-hmm. Talk mm-hmm. to
0: people about what what were specific things that you did to overcome what we call the scarlet letter sure. of your past.
1: Sure. Well, when I got the the specific job at the warehouse where I work now, I knew that uh from talking with them before I interviewed, I knew that uh having a criminal history could be a problem obviously because I, I applied at other jobs before that one actually and got turned away a lot of, of jobs, right? Yes, I had For several that reason. Yes, yeah. specifically. Um I think I interviewed with four different companies before I actually got this job at the warehouse. Um some customer service jobs, different things, jobs that I thought this will be an easy job for me to get. No big deal. And my criminal history, you know, it got to me and they're like, I'm sorry, we can't hire you. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, but with this warehouse job, I knew it was somewhat background friendly. Uh, I knew I had to take a drug test; no problem there. Uh, but background friendly, I explained on a piece of paper, wrote down what happened, and and they you know reviewed that, and they they let me work there, and I'm glad they did for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. But what 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 um, advice would you give to people who, who are getting a job, not their dream job, but it's mm-hmm. a job which is an important thing, particularly if they have you know. A, similar past Mm -hmm. what would you tell them how how what do you show up tomorrow morning with what are some immediate changes you can make to make yourself uh more marketable to your boss or to the company you work for and set you on that trajectory to getting uh promoted
1: Mm -hmm. well because
0: obviously you've done
1: them what are they so i mean we were kind of talking about it a minute ago where it's really important just to be punctual you should always be on time you should always come to work you should always and for me you know i walk in every single day in the warehouse where I work and there's a security guy there and I'm just like, woo, good morning. How's it going? You know? And, and And you might not feel like that, but you do it anyway. Every single day. Why not? Every single day. So, you know, the, the day when the day starts, my job's not real glamorous, so to speak. You know, I deal with a lot of people that do, you know, they're not working and they're goofing off and stuff, but, um, you know, it's, it's not a glamorous job, but, I've decided that I want to enjoy life um, and I'm going to enjoy that. I enjoyed that whether I was uh, going to work or whether I was in prison. At some point I decided I want to enjoy my life and that's a choice that I've had to make. And so even, excuse me, going into a job that I don't Necessarily love. I do like my job, but uh, you know, I, you, you've got to have a positive attitude. You know, even when you don't feel like it, you've got to have a positive outlook for sure.
0: Keep your head down, keep your mouth shut, do your job showing up is 80%, right? Just show up. <laughs> yeah, most
1: of the people that I end up having to let go that that work for me now, the reason, the main number one reason is because they don't show up to work or they're late all the time. Their attendance is terrible. Just punctuality is the one of the biggest keys to yeah. you know, moving forward uh and just having a decent work work ethic for sure.
0: Dennis Prager, guy on the radio that I love, he says that happiness Uh, Not only is it a choice, it's a moral imperative to to even when you're not happy, uh, be happy, pretend you're happy. Mm -hmm. He says you have a moral obligation to act and think happy even when you're not. Mm -hmm. It said it's very simple. Happy people make the world better. Unhappy people make them worse. Mm -hmm. And he's convinced if you fake it, you'll eventually be happy along and, you know. Fake being happy, like you said, you, you might be up early in the morning, you're still tired, you don't want to go work that day, but you walk in with a smile on your face, you say, hey, what's up to the security guard? Mm-hmm. And that sets the tone for the rest of your day, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, for, for me, I'd say, that, um, I'd say that the most important thing is, uh, you know, talking about fake it till you make it. Just try putting a big smile on your face and being depressed. You know, yeah. just make yourself <laughs> smile real big, and then try to try to be upset, and try to be mad, and try to be sad. Just putting a smile on your face. Well, it's hard to be sad. It's hard to be sad when you do when you sit up straight, when you put a smile on your face, when you walk with your shoulders up. It's hard to be depressed when you're making yourself powerful, or making yourself feel good.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about your family. Okay. Um, big part of your redemption story we've already talked about serving your time getting out doing the right things getting and keeping a job and getting promoted Mm -hmm. um talk to us about your family you don't i don't have to get personal there's some details you want to talk about but uh, i want people to know that not only can you do the right thing pay your debt to society get out and be productive you can also Mm -hmm. rebuild your life and find happiness right absolutely talk about that
1: sure so um You know, moving back to when I was incarcerated and I was on my knees in the morning, one of the things that I definitely talked to God about was, God, I want to find an amazing wife. I want to settle down. I want to have kids. And I'm really grateful and thankful because I've gotten to that point where I was able to marry somebody uh, who already had a couple of kids. And I say kids, they're teenagers. And with that, you know, she actually... We started dating while I was still riding the bus, so I mean... I apparently had it going on in other ways, yeah. you know, because I was a, you know. She uh, saw something. Yeah, she completely forgot about that, I don't want no scrub. A scrub is a guy that can't get no love for me, because I was kind of like one of those guys riding the bus to work every day. On the surface. On the surface, yeah, right. Yeah. But uh, we started dating. She always drove when we started dating, and uh, we, we hit it off really well, and she's awesome. I mean, even, we've been married now almost two years, and I know I'm blessed to have, a great wife and great kids. So I'm real fortunate to have that now.
0: had a nice house and a nice neighborhood. It's true. A family, Mm -hmm. the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to talk about Christianity. And the question I think a lot of people would have for you is Mm -hmm. what happened was terrible. There's consequences beyond just your own life for other people that were innocent and didn't do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. How do you reconcile that with your faith? You know, Christians will tell you Christ died on the cross so that all of our present, past, and future sin has been atoned for. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? What that means, the grace that comes out of that, uh, the ability to ultimately forgive yourself, right?
1: Oh yeah. So um, you can't move
0: forward if you don't forgive yourself, right? Yeah,
1: bitter, bitterness. You know, you can't really live a productive and happy life if you're if you if you're going to be bitter. And, you know, one thing that I knew for sure uh, was that the God that I, that, that's in my life is a God of grace and mercy. And even though I had run the other direction and done some stupid things, I really, really believed that God forgave me. And in knowing that, eventually I was able to also forgive myself. And that was a big thing, too. Uh, it's, you know, to, 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 be, uh, to be somebody to do something so horrific, Um, you know, even though I didn't do it intentionally, it it was hard to forgive myself. But once I did get to that place where I could forgive myself, that's when I really could move forward and move on at that point. So,
0: you know, it's one thing to, to take an inventory of your life and the consequences of your decisions, good or bad. Then it's another thing to take responsibility for that, to own it. Right. Mm -hmm. And nothing you've said today or any of the conversations we've had prior to Today, have made me think that you've done anything short of absolute account- accountability and ownership. Mm-hmm. So that's step two. And then step three is to forgive yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many people end up, like we mentioned earlier, they don't know anything different. They probably don't even get to step one very often. Mm-hmm. If they do, step two is real hard, right? Mm-hmm. Truly owning it, right? Mm-hmm. And then step three is even probably harder, forgiving themselves. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about any lingering um, issues you have with that? Because I'm sure it pops up, you know, in your mind. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want the main purpose of doing this is I wanted, by the way, you're very brave for coming on and doing this. Mm, Thank you. Yeah. I mean, to talk about this uh, for the world to see is, Mm -hmm. is a brave, brave act. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, I think you'd agree with me. The point of this is so that someone out there who's struggling may say, oh, my God, that guy hit rock bottom. I think I'm close. Mm -hmm. Maybe I can make some changes now after hearing his story where I don't have to hit another rock bottom. Mm -hmm. and have Even worse things happen. And then also, okay, maybe I hit my rock bottom a year ago and I don't know where to go. Mm -hmm. This guy's given me not only an example of somebody who can bounce back from that and rebuild their life and turn it around, Mm -hmm. but also how to do that talk about how, because you're going to have to deal with this the rest of your life, right? Mm-hmm, and sure. Even though you've forgiven yourself and owned it and served your debt to society and all that,
1: mm-hmm.
0: how do you deal with that? What does that look like? And how, how do you help other people who are struggling with that to, to process that and still find a way to be happy
1: and productive? Well, you know, um, if I could go back in time and tell myself and really convince myself of anything, it would be that drinking and drugging is not the life For me, you know, and um, when I did have, when I realized that I had those issues with drinking and drugging and and just being out of control, it sure would have been a lot easier if I'd have gotten some help. It sure would have been a lot easier if I had said, I think I might need to go to rehab or uh, I might need to check myself in or I might need to see a counselor or a therapist or a doctor or anybody. But One of the biggest mistakes that I made was not asking for help. And that's a big lesson I've learned too, is if you need help, ask for it. There are other people that are out there somewhere that will help you. And, um, you know, looking back, I sure hope people don't have to learn the lesson that I learned because it's a hard lesson to learn. But if you're addicted, if you're an alcoholic, there is hope. You can get help. You can get out. And it is one day at a time. It is one day at a time, but there is help out there, and you don't have to get to that rock bottom to turn your life around.
0: You mentioned asking for help. I think a lot of people are ashamed Mm -hmm. of their behavior and or needing to ask for help. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the main uh, contributing factor to people not asking for help. Mm -hmm. When you think about it with a clear mind, the shame should be in not asking for help, right? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah.
0: and we have, uh, thankfully, in Western society – evolved away from a lot of the negative connotations associated with asking for help, whether that's therapy or 12 step or whatever that, you know, that, that might be, but there's still a lot of, Oh my gosh, so-and-so went to the therapist. He's crazy. You know, Mm -hmm. we're worried about him. No, you should be worried about the person who's not, not asking for help who doesn't have the ability to reflect on themselves and have some insight and say, maybe, you know, something happened to so-and-so maybe maybe I could take that as a lesson. Mm-hmm. I heard a guy once say, um, was it smart people learn from their mistakes? Wise people learn from the mistakes of others. Have you heard that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to have insight. You cannot mm-hmm. come to terms with who you are and where you are and ultimately where you want to be. O- own your role in that. And then ultimately, um, move forward. Uh, and, uh, you know, be successful if you don't have the ability to have insight Mm -hmm. and to to reflect on yourself. Um, I would think that your faith and being prayerful um, and, you know, your various aspects of, uh, you know, going to church and being in that community would help you gain that insight. Can you talk
1: about that? Sure. So, you know, for me, um, there's no doubt about it that um, the reason that I'm able to stay clean today, the reason that I'm able to enjoy my life – all of that is starts and is surrounded by my faith in God and, and my faith in Jesus Christ. Because without God, I, I would not be the person that I am right now. Now, I'm not one of those super weird, freaky Christian people or whatever have you that some people may think about when they think of religion or whatever have you. But... You know, I serve a God that loves everyday people that are just where they are, right where they are, not perfect people. You know, the the church is full of people with imperfections, and I am one of those people for sure. And, um, you know, without God, life would be really miserable. Um I can't imagine not having a, a faith in God at this point personally. Uh, it would just seem so hopeless for me, and I do believe that there is a hope, and I, I, strong, I you know, I hold on to that strongly. And uh, you know, uh, God's been really good to me. I, I really can say He's been really good to me.
0: You mentioned there's no person without flaws in the church. Mm -hmm. Reminded me, someone said, um, the problem with Christianity is Christians. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, you know, when people go to church, frequently there are people that are sick, people that are looking for help, people that want help, that want a better life. And uh, there's no doubt about it that there's plenty of, of, of people in the church that are Uh, that are not great people and there's messed up people there it is a place for sick people you know and i am and have been one of those sick people for sure
0: if i came to you and i said i have a problem and i think it's going to get really bad what would you tell me
1: well uh i think it would would depend a lot on on what problem you're talking about but uh, i would probably start by saying tell me more what's going on you know um there's all kinds of problems, so I guess it would depend uh, on the problem on which direction you would go with that. But there, I would at absolute least give you some encouragement and say, hey, there's a way out. There's a way out of this this hole that you're getting into.
0: Yeah. Look at you. You did it. Right.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, one thing I'd like to mention is that my wife and I started a nonprofit called See Good to Be Good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it occurred to me one day when i was thinking about how many people just wander through life kind of wasting the opportunities that life offers and i uh, was just really struck by um how many people do that and i've done it myself you mm-hmm. know so I, i'm not just you know looking at other people uh and it just occurred to me if people don't see good being done mm-hmm. then they're not going to do good they're mm-hmm. not going to be good mm-hmm. um i like to ask people a couple of questions um in when we're talking about that, the first one is, "Why
1: are you happy?" <laughs> it makes me laugh just to hear that question. Um, the number one reason that I, that I am overall a very happy person is because I made that choice to be. You know, um, I, I do believe that for the most part, not always, but for the most part, that happiness is a choice, and um, you know, I know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, God loves me, I know that my family loves me, and i 've got to a point where I love myself um and y- y- you have to get to that point to be a happy person it 's just a matter of uh it's it 's a matter of how you think you know i mean it it is a choice uh happiness really is a choice for the most part. There are circumstances I think that 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 would change things, but for the most part it 's a choice for sure to the extent that you 've been successful in life, why are you successful? Um, you know, the, the only reason I'm successful uh, to where I am and I plan on becoming more successful is because I failed so many times and I made wrong choices that made me uh, realize, Hey, that's not right. You know, so I've turned and gone the other way. So I've had to fail forward as they say. I mean, I mean, I've made so many mistakes. I know what not to do. You know, I know how to not do marriage. I know how to not do life. I know how to not be a good employee. But um, in learning those, I've learned how to be so much better. Winners learn from their losses. And in so far far
0: as they do that, they become winners and not losers. Mm -hmm. A loser is someone who doesn't learn from their losses. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. That's an
0: important distinction. Mm -hmm. Final question in that area. Do you feel an obligation to help other people? And if so, what is that obligation and how are you doing that?
1: Mm Well, you know, um, I I think that uh, part of my life is to, to, in in every encounter I have with everybody, there's there's two things that are going to happen. I'm either going to help give life to that person, I'm going to take life away from that person. And so by helping or healing or just having a conversation with somebody, um, I'm not sure if I'm so much obligated to that, but... I feel a desire to do that. I want to help people. I know what it's like to struggle. I know what it's like to feel down and depressed. Uh, And and certainly, um, you know, in every interaction I have with all my employees, with my family, with my friends, I know that I'm either giving life or I'm taking it away. So I want to consciously try to make choices that where I'm actually giving life and and helping people out uh, to be that that person that, that you know, the people need.
0: There's some wisdom there. It's a binary choice. It seems like you're either contributing to someone's happiness or you're taking away from it. You, there's no, no middle ground. Mm-hmm. And also by not choosing to add, like you said, life or happiness to someone else's life, you are actually choosing to take away from their life. There's no, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's no in between there. Um, I think that your story is so compelling um, because of how you turned your life around. But I also think there's a lot of people out there that you can reach uniquely because you have credibility in the sense that you've actually bottomed out mm-hmm. and you've gone through th- the steps and the process to rebuild your life. I think that if you ever wanted to, you you would have a successful career in therapy or mm-hmm. something in that area where, you know, a lot of people can go to a therapist who's lives a clean life, right, mm-hmm. followed the... Clean trajectory went to high school, did well, college did well. You know, have a successful practice in, in therapy, mm-hmm. psychology, and that's fine. And those people are we need those folks, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of people that need help that can't relate to someone like that because they've never gone through that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think that it's very important for people to some people, you know, of that, a subset of the p- people asking for help. I think that someone with a story like yours would be very relatable uh,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: authentic to them. And, 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 and insofar as it is, it'd be more, um, effective. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, uh, I think for me, one of the people that I have a heart for, I have a big heart for people that are drug addicts and people that are alcoholics and people that are inmates, um, people that have gotten themselves into situations that, you know, uh, are awful uh, places. Um, one of the things I know that I need to do, and that I've tried to do, but um, I'd like to go back into the prison. I'd like to go back into the prison to be able to give, you know, my story, to be able to encourage those inmates that hey, there is life outside of here. Life can be better. You can get out of prison and be sober. You can get out of prison and find the woman of your dreams. You can get out of prison and live a good life. This, the prison is temporary. You know, um, I, I, I really know that. Um, that's something that I want to do. I haven't been able to do it because they, they weren't letting anybody in for such a long time because of you know coronavirus and stuff. But all that's on the edge of getting wiped away. And I do think that there's going to be opportunity for me to do that. And I look forward to it. I got one more question
0: for you. Um, I'm an agnostic atheist, mm-hmm. which means ultimately I don't know. My suspicion is that there isn't a God, mm-hmm. and I have my own reasons for that. As you, you know, I'm not hostile towards people who believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, you're a Christian, mm-hmm. and that means you want to be like Christ. Mm-hmm. What would Jesus say to somebody who came you know, to him with a similar situation like yours, and their whole life has just mm-hmm. crumbled around them, and they're th- trying to
1: find some way to move forward? What would Jesus say to that person? Well, I think what Jesus would say—the first thing he would say to anybody in any bad situation—is "I love you, I love you." And and as a God that that loves His children, I I really believe that that's what's changed my life toward God. It's because I know that I know that I know that He loves me, and uh, you know. I can't I can't imagine my life without, you know, that belief in God. And I understand, you know, you you have a different different idea and different thoughts on that, and I respect that too. And I appreciate that you respect me as well. We you know, we can be best friends and not have the same religious or spiritual beliefs, but we do have a lot of the same values and we do have a, a lot of we do agree on a lot of things just from a little bit different perspective. And um that's how, you know, that's how that can work out. But uh yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a great way to wrap things up. I Mm -hmm. think this might change someone's life who listens to this, and I hope it does. I hope so. Um, I would assume a big part of you continuing your rebuilding process for your life would be to hopefully help some folks just by sharing your story. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you for coming.
1: Glad to be here. Thank you.
0: This might be the most impactful and hopefully life-changing episode we've done uh, for as many people as we can um thanks for joining us today thank you to the listeners and our sponsors for making this podcast